0: scores! Gilmore scores! Of the left. Off the glass, it looks corner to Aguila. Aguila left circle. Passing to yellow, a
1: shot, save made by Alaguila, three-bounds, another shot, they score! The play's win it. Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts!
2: Flamestock starts Now, on Sportsnet 960, The Fan, here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All
1: right, let's get it going. It is Thursday, December 21st. We are underway on a Thursday edition of Flames Talk. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into our uh, Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. That's where we're hanging out on this Thursday. Hello, Wes. Hey, buddy. How are we? I'm good. I'm good. Game day. I, it's game day. And uh, Wes is writing stories again. I'm always back. Always working on some back. You know, Eric Francis and I were talking on Wednesday after practice. And he was like, Wes is always typing. Like, yeah, I write stories. I'm not always typing like that. What is Wes doing? Like, he's always typing something. He's always got his head buried in the laptop. And you know why? It's for stories like the one we're about to talk about cuz you're I, always working on something days and weeks down the road. You
2: know, I thought you were going to say it's because I'm an agonizingly poor typist, which is also true. It takes me a long time to churn through that many you're, words. You are a uh Hunted packer. Yeah, I uh, I learned that from my late dad. He left that with me ah. for sure. We both uh we both went with
1: the two-finger model. Well, uh, I think that uh, your late pops would be proud of of the uh, the latest that you have put out there. It's actually a really cool piece. Um, we're we're talking a lot about Connor Zeri these days, and for good reason. Uh, Connor Zeri has been a straight up revelation for the Calgary Flames since making his NHL debut almost two months ago on November first. The, the The points are great. He's been a productive player, but you know, as I read your piece in the uh, post media outlets on Thursday morning. I really do think it goes beyond just the, the goals and assists and the points, because to me, it's the overall impact he's made on this team's offense on this team's kind of on ice swagger and just the overall feel you have for the group. He's given them a real shot in the arm offensively. He, has made them feel like they're a significantly more dangerous group offensively. Even when he's not out there, it just feels like they're a more dangerous group. It's given them a line that you always feel has the potential to do something dynamic. And he's given them, and 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 the team has just played with a whole lot more pace since he jumped on board. And that line with him, Kadri and Pospisil has played with pace. And I don't know, to me that's significant because I remember talking with Connor when we were at the Hot Stove Lounge just uh, over a year ago after a Wranglers game. He came and sat with us on Flames Talk, and he was talking about how he needs to up his pace, and coaches have always talked about how it's got to get that pace up, got to get that pace up, and here he is. He's come in, and he's helped the Flames up their pace because he has taken – those things to heart and that's kind of what you uh what you wrote about when it comes to Connor's area
2: yeah and this one you know I was struck Saturday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning by one sequence in particular and that's the puck gets turned over uh a great play by Jordan Osterley. the puck gets turned over just inside Calgary's blue line and Conor Zary with the Flames kind of at that point really clinging to a 3-2 lead and, and Tampa having most, if not all, of the momentum. Mm-hmm. Conor Zary grabs the puck there and he proceeds to take it the length of the ice. And for 100 plus feet, as I kind of phrased it in what I wrote today, he has Brandon Hagel in his back pocket. And Hagel chases him that whole way. He's trying the sweep check. He's pestering him, but he never fully catches up. And Conor Zary finishes that play with a short side snipe on Vasilevsky. And I remember in that moment just thinking to myself, man, that's the exact sort of play that Conor Zeri wasn't supposed to be able to make at this level. Going back to when he was selected by the Calgary Flames in 2020, we all remember the COVID draft the knock on this young man has always been his pace. It's yep. always been, you know, oh, wow, thinks the game really good. Great skill. Great skill, really impressive vision. The boots are a question mark. You know, we wonder we wonder about the foot speed. And in my conversation that followed on Sunday morning with Connor Zary, and then with a couple of, of his coaches after that, it became clear to me that he he received that message. He knew that his skating had the potential to hold him back. And, and so please do go to either the Calgary Sun or Calgary Herald and check it out. Kind of an interesting look into how he turned that around, how he made sure that his lack of foot speed wasn't going to hold him back when he got his opportunity at the top level. And I I chatted with Danielle Fujita, the Flames full-time skating coach, yep. and and always just a, a really insightful resource when it comes to how a prospect has sort of refined their stride, refined their game that way. And I also chatted with Jordan Tratch, who is a Saskatoon-based skills coach, actually coached Connor on a spring league squad, in novice, and, and they've sort of been working together ever since. He'd sign up for his power skating sessions in the summer. And, you know, I was really struck by something Jordan told me, and that was that he doesn't think, I shouldn't say he doesn't think, he believes that, Connor Zeri wouldn't have become the player he is today if he was a really good skater as a kid because the really good skaters as a kid can weave through everybody, get their breakaway, score, and there you go. Right. Well, he said Connor Zeri's brain, the way he sees it, his knack for going to areas that the puck is about to go to rather than where the puck is right now, has developed because of his poor skating abilities as a kid. And now that the skating is starting to catch up,
1: it's really turn him into a force. And a couple of things there. Number one, when we say poor skater, poor skater relative to other NHLers, which I you're know right. I know that you're not saying that, but I always like to to preface that that it's not like Flames talk is sitting here saying, you know what, you at home, you're as good a skater as Connor Zeri. Because no chance. you're not. I mean, Connor Zeri's in the NHL. You have to be an elite skater compared to humans to be in the NHL. But then once you get there, you know, to, to keep up and to stay in the NHL and to be an effective NHLer, if skating is not your number one attribute or is not a um an attribute that, you know, skews on the check mark side. You got to do a lot of work on it. Yeah. And, and if you're a prospect where that's something that is pointed out, it means that that's going to be something that you have to work on for months and years and seasons. And we're going to play this. This is um, a little, you want, do you want to set yeah. it up? Can Can I just jump in really yeah, quick yeah. and explain
2: one thing? Because part of Connor's, I part of what needed to be addressed, wasn't something that was a, a deficiency in his stride. There, There were some technique issues for sure. And, You know, Danielle was telling me that that was something we needed to work on him being more efficient. But part of this was strength as well. And and that was something Connor was quick to point out to me is, you know, when you're 18 years old, you only, and especially he's not the biggest guy to begin with, right? You only have so much leg strength. And so that by nature of the sort of power you need in your stride to be an effective NHLer, that was a big part of it. But there were also some... I guess, mechanics that went into it and credit to him. He's committed himself to it. So yeah, if you're, if you're wondering, well, how do I turn into as good a skater as Connor Zary? Well, <laughs> it's a whole lot of time in the gym, but it's a whole lot of thankless hours yeah. in empty arenas in the summer months. And that's really what the feature I wrote today focuses on.
1: Here's just a little bit of uh, the chat that Wes had with Connor, the, the quotes in this, or the quotes that you will uh, see in the story and then, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Danielle and his skating coach back in Saskatoon and more skills coach back in Saskatoon. It's a really interesting read about how Connor Zarian is, has been able to take his game to another level because of how much he's worked on that one attribute. And, and just listen to this because you can tell as connor's talking to wes here that not only is it something he knew he had to work on it's also something that kind of drove him and and motivated him and and he really wanted to prove a lot of people wrong this uh
3: about two minutes of that chat wes had with connor zary i've always been working on it and the game is 90 percent how fast you can play in that right, right. right now so i think if if it's something you can always improve on and and for me it's something i've always looked to improve on i know I'm not going to be the fastest guy i'm not going to go out there and, and be mcdavid and burn, burn guys one-on-one every game so i think if you can play at a high pace and and then just be smart with it and 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 know when to kind of move into the right positions and 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 save yourself and and be smart about that i think that's how you can be kind of work with it and uh like i said not every guy is going to have the pace like like a mcdavid like right and so i think you can try and take as much as you can and and like i said moving forward i think when when you're 16 to 19, there's there's a lot of stuff in your body that has to grow and get right. better. And and for me, I feel like I'm still pretty young and my body's still maturing. And, and I still got a lot of work to do in the gym and and on the ice. And and thanks to keep improving my gear. Yeah. but like being here shows the work you put in, right? Yeah. You stay ahead of Brandon Hagel that
2: for a hundred yeah. feet last night oh, because 100%. of
3: that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's it's the time that you work on that in the summer and, and the skating details and that time in the gym allowed, has allowed me to to play at this level. Yeah. Did anyone ever tell you like it has to get better or it might limit you? Yeah. I'm, yeah. And I've, I've heard that in whole life. You have, that, eh? That I, I won't be fast enough and, and it, it, I'm going to have to catch up and then my skating's not good enough. So I think you take that to heart and it's something you can always work on and it'll get better with. So I think for me, it's like I said, it's something even in the next... 10 summers, I should working on it and, and keep getting better and, and keep improving my pace and adding a little details and habits within my skating that are going to make me a better player. And I know that was one of the quotes that uh,
1: you used on Twitter to kind of promote the story and uh, that, that last part's really good stuff right there because it sure does feel like the constant harping on it that he heard from coaches or that he heard from uh, scouts or that he heard from NHL teams going through interviews, all that type of stuff. It really feels like he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to I'm going to make sure that, yeah, I get it, but this is also something that drove him to to make sure that that wasn't always going to be part of the narrative. And I don't, as he said, he's never going to be McDavid. He's never going to be McKinnon. That's not going to be the area that is number one in his game. But I even look American League last year to NHL this year. The guy's way more explosive. Uh, He's able to get off the blocks and turn something into nothing skating-wise more than we saw him at any point as a member of the Wranglers. I give him a lot of credit. Good on him for taking a potential roadblock or downfall or or negative attribute. Negative is the wrong word, but maybe not positive attribute in your overall NHL skills package and turn it into something that's a whole lot better. I give him a lot of credit for it.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I like the way Megan Mickelson put it, and, and she said he turned a weakness into a strength. Yep. And I think that's absolutely accurate. I think if Connor was sitting here, he'd be nodding in agreement. And that's what people told him. That, And, and we're not talking just when the Flames drafted him. Even before that, as a Western leaguer, he was hearing about problems <laughs> with his pace. Certainly, he was hearing about that. It, it, quite frankly, it's the reason that he's... Now playing the wing as a professional is—is is that they thought that his sort of pace would work better on the flank, and and they haven't ruled out eventually trying him again at center. In fact, the the skating work he's done probably unlocks that potential. But I yep. think what the improvements that Connor Zeri has made, again, both a mixture of of muscle and mechanics, what that's done is allowed him to capitalize on on the rest of his gifts, right? That vision we talk about, that brain, that hockey IQ we talk about, the that confidence with the puck, and, and quite frankly, being what the Calgary Flames didn't have enough of in the sense that he's a guy in those big moments that wants to puck on his stick. I'm not sure how many guys on the Flames bench really crave that, really crave that pressure yeah. and that's not a knock on most guys that you know it's a special player that is sitting there thinking i'm going to be the guy who changes this game yeah. i gonna i'm going to be the difference maker and it's really remarkable that one of those guys happens to be a player who's been in the league for 22 games yeah. like what a what a great story Connor Zeri is and continues to be.
1: Well, over at Evolving Hockey, they've got their uh, war model, wins, uh, wins above replacement, and their goals above replacement model, which I actually, you know, I, I really do. It, it really does paint an interesting picture of how much a guy is impacting things and, and the type of impact that a certain player has on a game. Uh, Zeri leads the Flames with uh, one win above replacement, and 6.2 goals above replacement. He's number 1 in both of those categories. And those 6.2 goals above replacement put him in the top 70 in the NHL. And I know that that doesn't scream, "Oh my god, he's in the top 70," but when you're a rookie who's played 22 games, you're playing on a team with Huberdo and and Kadri and uh other other veteran players, you know, Backlund and and you know you're playing with on on a team that um, and and Elias Lindholm, you're playing with all these types of forwards, and it's Connor's Harry who's the only one in the top seventy in a category like that. Basically, if he was not in the lineup, how many fewer goals this model suggests the Flames would have scored? Um, more than six. That's that's impressive. Yeah, he's not he's not in the same category as McKinnon or Rantanen or you know some of the other really top end players Barkov and other names that are up at the very very top of that thing, but. You know, to see him lead the team in that category again in just 22 games, impressive. I, I'm going to weigh in on this
2: for in a second, but I, I want to give you an assignment first because I'm curious. Can you call that up and just throw out a few more names that are in that 6.2 range? Cause, yes. Because I am curious who would be around there. What I was going to add is that and I'm just kind of repeating myself from earlier, but I think that sequence on Saturday night was such a great example, right? Like Saturday, it's now 3-2, Kucherov starting to, I think, kind of feel feel blood, you know, starting to smell blood a little bit, and it has that nails-on-the-chalkboard-type feel for the Flames, and suddenly in a 7- or 8-second span or or whatever that sequence is, he basically turns that on its ear, goes to the other end, calls his own number, picks a spot short side on a former Vesna Trophy winning goalie, and suddenly the Flames end up cruising to, to victory. Like, this is a guy who... If you went and looked at the seven goals he's scored so far, I, I'm sure more than half of them have come in really important moments or, or big passes in important moments. And just the fact that Ryan Huskin knows he's a guy that has to be on the ice in those big moments, right? You're going to, you're going to see more of them on the power play. You're going to see more of them in the final minute. You're, this is a guy who, again, eight, it's not even eight weeks since he was recalled from the Calgary Wranglers on Halloween day is about as indispensable of a forward as
1: this flames team has right now. So um, some of those players, by the way, some of the things that go into Uh, calculating a goals above replacement, it it factors into account uh, your offensive impacts, of course, um, at five on five and overall, it factors in penalties drawn, factors in uh, what you do on the power play, uh, factors in a lot of different things that go into it, and there is a formula that they they use to, uh, to make it, and I find that it's a really, because I mean, you take a look at some of the names in the top 10, McKinnon's one, Kucherov's three, Pedersen's four, Barkov, Hughes, Eichel. Uh, these are the names that are in the top 10, like, and these are the best players in the NHL. So some of the guys around him, Philip Forsberg is right behind him. Um, you've got Mark Scheifele. You've got Luke Hughes. You've got Carter Verhaeghe, You've got Alex Debrinkit. These are some of the names that that Connor Zary finds himself among when it comes to uh, Kirill Marchenko who's having a nice year in Columbus. Right. Um, these are some of the names. It's good that company. Mika ad. Like the, these are, are these generational players? No, but these are all pretty impactful players. And this is just one metric, but it shows you that by a, a, a very interesting and um, well-calculated and and complicated uh, metric that he's, he's making an impact out there. He really is. I, I know you mentioned
2: Luke Hughes. Would he be what? third among rookies then would it be bedard
1: hughes and he's actually ahead of bedard he's ahead of a B- yeah. bedard um hmm? and again goes uh takes into account some other things sure some defensive impacts yeah those types of things it so yeah it, it all just you kind
2: of add it all to the pile right at every stat you look to whether it's as simple as points per game him being second among regular rookies at 0.73 going into tonight trailing Connor, only Connor Bedard in that category. You know whether it's as simple as that, whether whether it's a, a stat like you know goals ab- above replacement. It it all just, I guess it all just backs up what we're seeing, right? Yeah. It all yeah. backs up how significant of a piece Connor Zeri is, and, and that's like we're fifty days removed from sitting here having a conversation about okay, time to find out what Connor Zeri is. Yep. Time to find out what he can do at the NHL level. Well, pretty damn good so far. Um, when's the last
1: time? And that doesn't have to be a rookie. Cam told me I
2: couldn't swear today. Is damn fine. No, damn's okay. Okay.
1: Other four-letter words still. That was illegal. a close call, Cam. I'll rein it in here. This is a family podcast. When's the last time the Flames had just a, a straight up lineup revelation like this? It's not doesn't to be a rookie. 'Cause to me it's easy. I can't remember feeling this about how one player has turned, has has jumped into a lineup and made this much of an impact on the way a team plays and the way a team slots like Zary has since Oliver Shillington had his breakout in you know the fall of twenty twenty one when when Oliver started to establish himself as as a full on NHLer and you're like, damn, this pairing. Who's the number one pairing? Anderson or Hannafin or Tanev and Shillington? When that when that started, to ha- that's the last time that I can remember the Flames having a lineup revelation quite like Connor's area.
2: Yeah, I I couldn't think of a better example than that. And and you know when you kind of dropped that on me via text today, I, I was thinking about it at the time, and it's like, yeah, you know what? That that's perfect. And, and those two dovetail together so well because they were sort of known commodities in the organization obviously both drafted and and developed by the flames but they both when they got the opportunity and in connor's case it's his first opportunity in oliver's case he'd kind of been on the yo-yo a little bit but they turned into more than i believe the organization envisioned they could be at their best you know i i I'm picturing in my head because it was so kind of startling in a good way when Ryan Huska was asked the other day, well, did you ever envision that Connor Zeri could produce offensively like this at this level? And he just said, no, No. yeah. Straight up. No, no. And it's like, wow, that's a first round pick. Yep. You know, that's a guy that the organization, despite, you know, wanting to work on his skating, despite wanting to be patient with him, needing to add some strength, they had high hopes for him, but they didn't envision this. Yep. And, and that's really, that's not a knock on the scouting staff or the development staff. and in, in fact, it's a credit to them that this player is already sort of exceeding what they thought he would be capable of and and quite frankly, rewriting what they think he might be capable of in the future, yep. right? We weren't talking Connor's area as a potential first liner really at any point. But sitting here today, if I said to you, you know, Connor Zeri, a couple or three years could be a f- top line talent
1: in the NHL. Does yep. does that seem far fetched? No, no. Especially with the the skill that we know he's had and how that skill is translated at the highest level. No, I don't. And especially, you know, on this team, especially when you take when you project this roster, and a lot of nights he already is a top liner on this team. Yeah, a lot of nights the Kadri line is your number one line. For sure, and you take a look at um, forwards on this team. Uh, Connor Zeri currently number two um, in terms of expected goals. The only guy higher than him is his line mate in terms of on ice expected goals, and Martin Pospisil. um, As a line, their expected goals is through the roof. Zeri's at fifty six point four percent expected goals over at Natural Stat Trick, which means. Almost fifty-seven or fifty-six, a little more than fifty-six percent of the time when he's out there, the Flames are expected to score as opposed to be scored on. Um, these, these are these are good things. Yeah. These are and and they. I also give Ryan Huska a lot of credit for letting them eat. And what I mean by that is feed them offensive starts. You know the backland line. You know even with Huberdeau on it, and even though Huberdeau is not a guy that we typically associate with being a 200-foot player, they're kind of turning him into one because of the line he's playing on. But you've got the backland line that's taken all the defensive starts against all the tough opposition. You've got the Lindholm line, as as Ryan Huska talked to you about on, on Wednesday after practice. They take a lot of defensive starts and a lot of head-to-head matchups. It leaves that cadre line out there to go out there for some offensive shifts, some offensive starts, and sometimes even get opposing third lines, and they're killing it. They really are. And, and I, they, they're getting a lot of ice time because they're feeling it, and they've turned into, without question, their most dynamic offensive line.
2: What I really like about the way Ryan Husk has deployed that line is what it's allowed in terms of those young guys maintaining their confidence. Right? We're constantly quizzing Ryan about, well, how do you how do you help Jonathan Huberto build confidence? Mm-hmm. How do you help Andrew Mongiapani when the puck won't go in for him keep his confidence? How how do you help Dylan Dubé rediscover his confidence? Well, when Connor Azari and Martin Pospisil came up from the AHL's Wranglers, they brought confidence with them. They'd been playing on a line with Cole Schwint down the middle and they'd been dominant in six AHL games. They were off to a terrific start. I can't remember Pospisil's numbers off the top of my head, but Connor Zary had 10 points in six games when he comes up. Well, the way that they've been deployed, starting with the decision right away to put Connor Zary on Nazem Kadri's line, not get his feet wet as a fourth line or throw him right into a prominent role. And the way that Ryan Huska has used both Zary and Pospisil has allowed them to maintain for the most part, the confidence that they arrived with. And I think that's been really crucial. I think that, you know, the coach deserves his share of credit there for helping, maybe not helping for just putting those guys in a position to succeed.
1: And then of course, most of the credit goes to those kids for taking advantage of it. Yep. Uh, Just uh, one more little piece of information. Uh, that line together at 5-on-5, five five. they've played 131 minutes of 5-on-5 five five ice together. They're uh, 59.6% in terms of their shot rate. 7-1 goals for, goals against. Expected goals over 62%. Uh, high danger scoring chances, 31-14, almost 69%. Offensive zone faceoff of 76% in terms of their ratio. They've uh, been used offensively and they've generated as a result. A few techs at 960-960. Mike writes, um, Zeri's skating has come a long way, boys. He may not be a burner, but his puck skills, instincts, poise, and hockey IQ allows him to be a dynamic offensive player. He's probably the most naturally skilled player that the Flames have had since maybe Gaudreau. Yeah, and that's, I mean, Matthew Kachuk was pretty naturally skilled too, as I think we've seen. So maybe put Gaudreau and Kachuk, different types of natural skill, but both off the charts high. But yeah, since those two guys, no question it's Zeri for me.
2: Yeah, and especially in terms of the sort of grown-in house guys, right? The guys you drafted and developed? Absolutely. Uh, he's a skilled skill but And I only say that because of Nazim Kadri's yes. skill and and
1: the things he can do as well. And he also has a very high level of skill that yeah, I don't Absolutely. Think, I don't think always gets appreciated just the high level that cadre is able to do things at uh wes and pat on this hour of Flames talk and whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals our friends at 403 local they're the place to be so every time the local hockey heroes are on the ice you're getting the game day special at 403 local it's two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks that's a hell of a game day special on sundays they've got uh, great specials as well Wall-to-wall big screen TVs with football, 50 cent wings and happy hour all day on football Sundays. Wings also go on Wednesday, then on Monday it's $5 a pound for dry ribs. They also have daily happy hour from 3 to 6, lunch specials weekdays from 11:30 till 2:30, plus 403 locals available for private functions. Visit 403local in Lake Bonavista and at 403local.com.
0: This is Flame Stock. Join the conversation at 960, 960. Sportsnet, 960, the fan.
1: All right, Thursday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable, now brought to you by Mercedes Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 Formatic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48 month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our daily Flames roundtable. Uh, gents, pair of wins on this road trip Thursday and Saturday in Anaheim and Los Angeles. Flames could be back above 500 for the first time since October. Um, oh, they still need to win the games by no means a guarantee they got the LA Kings on Saturday who are one of the best teams in the NHL Anaheim's been a plucky group here of late as well so by no means a guarantee but if they finish off their pre-Christmas schedule with two wins on the road and a four game win streak they would be back above 500 how, uh, how important could that be for the group coming back home and, and finally being above 500 for the first time in a couple months
0: Yeah, I think it could be really important, Pat, uh, for a number of different reasons. Number one, I think back to my first season calling Flames games. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they lose eight in a row heading into their final game before the Christmas break?
1: Yes, I believe that is. I believe they lost an overtime game for eight straight and were about to lose nine on that uh, final game before Christmas.
0: And then they battled back in that game against the kings in los angeles johnny gaudreau scored a hat trick and mark chordano scored the game winning goal to to win the game and to snap that long losing streak so i remember how relieved the guys were going into their christmas break because uh, if they hadn't won that game i'm sure they would have had to answer lots of questions from their family and friends about uh, a nine game losing streak instead they felt good about themselves going into their christmas break so if the flames could win the next two games or you know what try not to be greedy pick up three of a possible four points in southern california in games against the ducks and the kings then i think they would fit about themselves not only going into the christmas break on uh, a bit of a high but uh, also going in if not in a playoff spot then closer to one of the wild card spots in the western conference and with a season-long six-game point streak because they go into tonight's game against the Ducks with a, a four-game point streak, which equals the longest of the season. So uh, I think for a number of reasons, going into the Christmas break, uh, hopefully with four straight wins and, and points in six straight, and if not the playoff spot, then pretty close to one, that'd be great on multiple fronts for the Flames.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I think what's most Im- well, let me go back in time first, Wilsey, because I-, I always reminisce around Christmas about that game you mentioned where Johnny scores the hat trick and-, and Mark Giordano ends it in overtime. And what I remember is interviewing Johnny, I think, for about 90 seconds because he had a red-eye flight home to <laughs> Philadelphia for Christmas, I I ran I know right out of the building. He, west. Yeah, he was jogging out of Staples Center or Crypto or okay. or whatever it's known as these days. I think going back to the current edition, probably even more important than getting four points out of this road trip is just continuing to play a brand of hockey that they're they're really proud of. And and obviously you you need the points at the end of the day, but I'd hate to see this team take kind of a step back with all the progress that they think they've made in their defensive posture, just in in the work ethic that they've put out there, all that I'd hate to see a step back game for this team. I actually think that would hurt worse going into the holidays than, uh, you know, than a loss in a game that you think you played well enough. So as long as, as long as you continue to sort of trend in the right direction, even if you came home with a split, I don't think it's the end of the world. But yes, for the obvious reasons, you know, this is a group of guys and whatever direction you think the Calgary Flames should go inside the locker room, this is a group that is determined to try and claw its way into the wildcard equation. And so for a group of guys that have made that their focus... They just want to hang around that spot. And if this could be a road trip that helps them keep that pace or, or perhaps even, you know, get a little bit closer, I think the the turkey would taste a little bit better this Christmas.
1: I uh, I also remember that night. Uh, I was not as fortunate to be in Southern California as you two were. I was at Shanks and Crowfoot Terrace. And uh doing the road game. Same thing. Uh and I remember I remember the there was it was it was pretty well attended because it was uh it was a late game before Christmas, lots of people had the night off. And I just remember this one group of Flames fans that were in there, and they got in for the third period. Uh and they were going like one guy was on a table screaming when Johnny Gaudreau tied it for his <laughs> hat. And I was like, Holy cow, this guy is way, <laughs> way into it, not way too into it. He just was really into it, and then I was um, <clears throat> I was a bit of a Debbie Downer on the post game show. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, they were dominated by the Kings. I look back and like, what a loser. It's like it was a fun story. Like, have fun with it. Anyway, uh, that was that was then. It was a really fun night. I I think it would be big. I, I think you know. I I think Chris Tanev um, laid it out pretty well when he spoke to us on Wednesday. He's like, yeah, it'd be good, but more importantly, we want to we want to get past a couple of these teams in the points percentage column and, and not have to be clawing past like four or five to get into a wild card. Maybe we're just clawing past one or two. And the other thing is, is they still have not played a lot of divisional games. And these are two divisional games before Christmas. And and yes, Anaheim is what Anaheim is They're They're not a team that's going to be a threat to anybody trying to make the playoffs. I think we know that in terms of having to jump over them, but they still play a really, plucky game as a couple of teams recently have realized the Devils and the uh, the Red Wings have both ran into a Ducks team. They're like, oh, now these guys don't go away. They're getting healthier for this game on Thursday as well. But I just think you got to win inside the Pacific Division, especially knowing you're going to have a pretty heavy Pacific schedule after Christmas. And, yeah, I think just uh, getting above the 500 mark is almost a I don't even entertain playoff conversation personally until you're above 500 because it's a prerequisite to be in the playoffs. The, I, I can guarantee you that all eight teams in the Western Conference playoffs this year will be well above 500 when it's all said and done. And so until the Flames are above that mark, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know they're in the playoff mix, but talk to me when they're above the, when when they have won more games than they have lost and they have more points than games played. So For me, that's big. Like Get yourself into that conversation, and then maybe I'm a little bit more dialed in on these playoff races as well.
0: Yeah, and there have been a handful of occasions this season where the Flames have battled back to get to 500 in the win-loss column, and then when they had a chance to get to above 500, they took a step or two back. So... This is an opportunity to win two games and get to above 500 going into the Christmas break and going into the break with some momentum and some confidence. And Wes, I, I do agree that uh, continuing to play well is important, but I do see things a little bit differently because I think about that last road trip the Flames went on where they could have won all three games. They had the lead in the third period of all three games. And they lost all three games. Now, they did pick up a point in an overtime loss and a shootout loss. So that probably helped it sting a little bit less. But, you know, for me at this point in time, and I know there are fans out there, plenty of fans out there, who would rather see the team lose and tank and get uh, a top five pick. And unless the Flames trade a bunch of guys away, I, I just don't see them being a bottom five team in the league this season. So I, I don't know if those fans are going to get their Christmas wish. but I think for the players inside the room, and you mentioned Chris Tanev and how he talked about you know, trying to put themselves in a better spot in the Western Conference wildcard race. That's not how the coaches and players are looking at this. They want to be in the hunt for a playoff spot. And I think they're done with moral victories. And yes, the process continues to be important because more often than not, a good process will lead to good results. But I think they're tired of playing well and not winning. I think they just want to find ways to win and that the results right now are as important, maybe even more important than the process for this team. But uh, both have to be good to get to where they want to go. So I, I certainly agree in, in that regard.
2: Yeah, I, I think what we've learned about this Flames team is they're not a a team that's going to win a ton of games that they don't deserve to. And this, this isn't a team that that's going to lock into too many that, that that's what we've seen so far. And so if they're going to get the results on this two game swing through California, it's going to be because uh, they continue to sort of trend in the right direction mm-hmm. with their game.
1: So our daily flames round table, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg, along with you a uh, similar question to the one that we dove into about Dennis Gilbert on Wednesday's round table. And, and the other unrestricted free agent at the end of the year that is super interesting and is not named Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, or Chris Tanev is uh, is AJ Greer. And guys, I find this one very fascinating because there are plenty of people out there who say, geez, the opportunity for the Flames to turn AJ Greer into an asset before the trade deadline is huge because they got him for free on waivers. He's been a really, really good fit. He has turned himself into a regular on this roster and that would be like getting a free asset, which I understand. And there's also a good chunk of people who say, Man, the way that this guy carries himself, the way that he is willing to stick up for teammates, the the fact that he's been their most consistent kind of fourth line player, and you just always know what he is going to give you. And and even Wilsey, something that you've talked about a couple of times, he's a guy that they can bump up. And and Mix talked about this as well, somebody that you can bump up in the lineup if and and you can feel comfortable with when you shorten your bench a lot of nights as well. And so. I think there's a real interesting conversation on either side about what AJ Greer's future looks like with this team. I don't need like a definitive, this is needs to happen or that needs to happen. I'm just curious as to how you see AJ Greer's future with this group.
0: Well, you asked uh, a similar question, so I'm going to give a similar answer. Sure. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have an issue with the flames extending AJ Greer or, uh, The guy we talked about yesterday and Dennis Gilbert, but it's not something that uh, I would get excited about or dig my heels in on simply because I don't see either guy as an important piece of this team's core group moving forward. And that's not a knock on either player. It's just you look at the role that they play. Dennis Gilbert is a third pairing defenseman and AJ Greer is a fourth line forward. And yes, he has earned a bump up from time to time which uh, I think reflects well on, on how he's contributed to this team since he was picked up on waivers for free from the Bruins. Great ad by Craig Conroy. But I also think it reflects on a couple of his line mates in Adam Rujitska and Dylan Dubé, who in a perfect world would be the guys getting bumped up into the top nine when the Flames shortened their bench in the third period. The fact that A.J. Greer has been that guy on a number of occasions, Uh, Great for him. Not so great for those other two guys who I mentioned. So should the Flames extend them? Sure. Uh, But then again, if they're out of the uh, fight for a playoff spot and uh, a team came to them and offered them uh, a draft pick or a prospect in compensation because they want to add some toughness and some depth to their team heading towards the playoffs, then I would certainly listen in on, on those conversations as well. So uh, again, with fourth line forwards or three pairing defensemen, uh, could I see Dennis Gilbert and AJ. Greer being a part of Flames moving forward? Sure. I, I think they both bring something to the table, but I don't see either guy as as being a core piece for this team. so if if they're here next year, great. If they're not, then I think you can replace them with similar types of players. But I also think that there's something to be said uh, uh, for the the devil you know as opposed to the devil you don't know. They're both good people. They're both good teammates, and they've both contributed probably more than most people expected them to this season.
2: Yesterday, I, I was pretty keen on the possibility of keeping Dennis Gilbert in the fold, you know, based on the fact that I, I think he is a guy who can add some value. If you go through a retool, you know, he is the sort of guy you might want to have around. And while I'd say the same thing about AJ Greer, my only hesitation on this one, guys, is what the Flames' future commitments at forward look like. We know Elias Lindholm is an unrestricted free agent to be. I believe we've covered that topic on this program can we, um, once can or you, twice.
1: Can you tell me more about that? Is yeah. This, let, does I'll, that mean that he's I'll not under contract for year? I'll fill you in at the
2: commercial Okay, break. yeah, please. But beyond Lindholm... AJ Greer is the only pending free agent among forwards at pending unrestricted. That is Adam Ruzicka is going to be a curious case as an RFA, but you really only have two guys in Lindholm and Greer who can walk in free agency if they'd like. And that means that with the emergence of Connor area and Martin Pospisil, and with the guys you already have signed Pat beyond this season and then the guys you're expecting to take a step like Matt Coronado, suddenly it starts to look pretty crowded at forward. And so the only reason that I might probably lean towards cashing in that chip if you have the opportunity is just because of how many bodies you already have at forward and the fact that if you get offered an asset for AJ Greer, somebody that you plucked off the waiver wire and, and really strong work by the Flames pro scouting staff to see that that was a guy who could bring some value to the organization. While I like what he's added at the Saddle Dome, based on the sort of numbers game moving forward, I might tend to say, thanks for your time.
1: To me, it's um one of those win-wins for the Flames. I really... I don't think there's a wrong answer. I, it's one of those situations that he's been such a nice fit in his role. And I could absolutely see hell. I mean, especially with the situation and, and how I don't think we're expecting Milan Lucic back in Boston anytime soon and back playing with the Bruins. I I, I could absolutely see them being interested in Greer again. You know, that's who they claimed. Um, that's who they claimed Greer off waivers from. And so I, I just, I think that you would have playoff teams that'd be interested in a guy who can shoot it, a guy who can contribute from the bottom parts of the forward depth chart, who can bring a little toughness, is not afraid to mix it up or stand up for a teammate. I I think there would absolutely be teams interested. And if you could get any type of asset for a guy like Greer, that's a checkmark win-win because of the fact that that's basically a free, it's found money. That's a free asset. And if they were to say, you know what, another one or two year deal for this guy, we really like what he, I mean, I just go back to the conversation we had with him earlier this week and um, and some of the intangibles that he brings and uh, some of the intensity that he brings and just all of the things that go into him being a really good teammate. I think that you're, you're not, there's no downside there either. So it's one of those rare scenarios that it's been a, a nice fit. And I think you're in a win-win spot if you're the Flames, depending on which way you want to go, depending on type of offers you might receive at the deadline or close to it. It's a nice spot to be in. You don't you don't usually find yourself in a full-on win-win when it comes to the future of a player.
0: Yeah, and I would say that the consistency that he brings as well, the consistency he brings in his role as a fourth line player. And you know, thinking about the future for this Flames team. I do think they're going younger, whether that means kind of staying the course for the most part or a retool or a rebuild, I think they want to get younger. And if you've got a younger team, I think it's important to have some guys who bring toughness because you might have to stick up for your younger teammates from time to time as some guys around the league try to push their boundaries so. I think bringing a guy like AJ Greer or a guy like Dennis Gilbert back uh, could be a a good thing for the Flames, but it's a much different scenario than some of the other pending UFAs because you can't let Noah Hannifin or Elias Lindholm or or maybe even Chris Tanev walk away for nothing. You could let Dennis Gilbert and AJ Greer walk away for nothing, and you wouldn't feel like you left a lot on the table. And even if you did decide to sell and you got offers and, and took offers on gilbert and greer that doesn't mean you couldn't re-sign one or both of those guys during the offseason because unlike Hannafin and lintome and maybe tanev i don't think those trades would have to come with a contract extension whether that be now or later i think if you're a playoff team looking to add depth players like gilbert or greer you're okay to to bring them in and to let them walk away as free agents at the end of the season, so interesting conversation. And uh, I guess we'll see where the Flames go here.
1: I uh, I promise on Friday we'll do some sort of Christmas themed question on the roundtable. I just don't know exactly Ooh. what it'll be, but we'll we'll, like work it in. we'll work it. We'll work into uh, who'd be the who'd be the best looking Flames in a Flames player in a Santa outfit. Maybe I'll think about that. That'll be the one that we ask. You know, coming up that on Friday
2: actually is the last thing I want to think about. <laughs>
1: Well, you better get used to it, because that's where we're going. <laughs> now that I know that it's made you uncomfortable, that's what we were going. No, we'll uh, we'll figure something out for Friday.
0: What's the What's the best Christmas movie that Pat Steinberg has never seen? All Ooh. of them.
1: No, I, I've missed one good Christmas movie that I will watch before. Uh, before the uh the holiday this year.
2: I'll I'll tell you okay. something right so now do that. that's not breaking news. Uh-huh. I watched Home Alone again last night and it's still a banger. Yeah,
1: Home Alone and Home Alone 2, still yep. dual check marks, absolute bangers. Name another Christmas Underrated. movie I haven't seen I, other than Christmas Vacation. We're going to have to circle back on Home Alone 2. I'm not sure it's a banger. Oh, it's great. Tim Curry, outstanding. I think it's good. Still does the cheese pizza. He does all the, he does all the, there's, there's some classics. The, in there. What's uh, the, the misdirection. Pat, he still does the, yes, sir.
0: Rocky four. Another Christmas movie you haven't seen.
1: Uh, do we count Rocky four as a Christmas movie or is it just a Rocky movie set at Christmas? Well,
0: he, he fought, he fought Ivan Drago on Christmas day hmm. in Russia.
1: Don't know if I'm counting that one as a Christmas movie. I don't. That one doesn't hit my. That one doesn't hit my seen resume. Though, so. I have
2: not seen you it. You know Rocky what, before. boys? The uh, the round table just got square because I'm sitting this debate out.
1: Rocky. That's the that's the movie. Arm wrestling. Is that what they do in Rocky? <laughs> now I'm just trying to bug Wills. Yeah, something. Uh, that's
0: over the top. You probably haven't seen that either. I
1: have seen. I have seen Rocky. When you gave me the DVDs, I've seen at least, I've put on at least one of them and watched it from start to finish. And I've seen the first two Creed movies, so I kind of know what you're talking about. We'll uh, see in a little bit. Yeah, don't bother with Creed 3. No good. Okay, okay good to bye. know. Bye, buddy. Uh, Derek Wills. Wes Gilbertson, my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames round table. That'll wrap us up this hour. Thanks to Cam and Taylor as well. And the Daily Flames Roundtable is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 4MATIC Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.